For full and bonus episode drops, extra content, and more information, subscribe for free to our Substack newsletter at newsbeat.substack.com. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer and host of Newsbeat the multiple award-winning podcast that mashes up hard-hitting social justice journalism, a.k.a. Real News, with a moving music score and original lyrical contributions from brilliant independent hip-hop artists. We like to say it's like Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast, baby. Now, we're working behind the scenes to craft some brand-new full-length episodes, and we've given you a couple of informative bonus episodes lately. But like we always do at this special time of year, we wanted to re-up with the episode that started it all, MLK Jr., what they won't teach in school. Now, when we first started the Newsbeat Endeavor, our mission was to shine a light on social justice issues that aren't typically covered in the mainstream news, what we called an unconventional look at conventional wisdom. In this, our pilot episode, we chose to examine the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. by looking past the often repeated I have a dream soundbite and highlight the Reverend's bigger, bolder dream, a dream that quite possibly led to him being murdered. Now, our audio journalism experiment, which combined thoughtful commentary, mood music, and a fiery lyrical contribution from Silent Night, who would go on to become our first artist in residence, worked. And we knew we had something special. But what makes us most proud, however, is that this episode, among some of the others we've produced, have been used in school. And one of our educator advocates just recently told us about how she came to incorporate Newsbeat into her curriculum and why she and her students value it so much. Uh, my name is Amanda McAvoy. I'm a 7 through 12 high school teacher at a rural school in Ohio. I'm currently teaching eighth grade. I've used podcasts before in the classroom. Um, I know it's a huge educational trend right now. Serial um, is a big one that language arts teachers use to study like it as literature. So I was looking for one specifically to add into my activism unit. We were studying human rights um, in December for Human Rights Month. I knew I wanted to include MLK because he is sort of the best example of activism from our country. Um, and we looked at different countries throughout the unit. So I, like many other teachers, was going to use I Have a Dream. But then I was reading it and I'm like, okay, how many times have I read this in school? How many times have they read it? Um, we're doing this in December. Are they going to, again, read I Have a Dream later on in the year? I sort of took a step back and assessed, like, if I want MLK to be important in my classroom, then I need to choose something that will make him important to them because teenagers are hard to impress these days. I was just searching and I found Newsbeat and it sounded cool and I was like, okay, I'll listen to it later. And then I, you know, it's like just a crazy busy thing. And then I saw all the different topics. And I was like, okay, I, I really have to go back to this. So I listened to the MLK episode, not really knowing what it was going to be about. Um, but the title of um, what they don't teach in schools kind of struck me. I kind of like to rebel a little bit and like teach them things that they don't normally get to hear about. And I knew that they would like that as 13 year olds because they like to rebel. I picked that one and I started listening and I was like, okay, this is really cool. And I'm listening to it driving, but then I was like, I need to stop and really listen to this at home so I can take notes and um, see how I can use it. 
My favorite part about the podcast in general was the, all of the incorporation of spoken word and music because I know my kids really like that. I like that it's unbiased news. You know, they see all sorts of things and I think that it's just an interesting way to put a podcast together because you know there were other podcasts about MLK but they're sort of history based and it's important but it's boring and um, Newsbeat was not boring to my kids. Now you can hear more from Amanda at the end but in the meantime here is our loving pilot episode our baby which still resonates today as loudly and importantly as it did on day one in a time when all of Dr. King's messages are as necessary to heed as ever. Here it is, MLK, what they won't teach in school. I must confess that uh, that dream that I had that day has at many points turned into a nightmare. A nightmare. A nightmare. A nightmare. Roger C. Williams, pastor, First Baptist Church. As the pastor of a Baptist church, I'm often pressed into service by local officials to participate in a day of remembrance for the late Dr. King. Invariably, the day's events invoke the most famous of his words. It seems the entire legacy of this man has been distilled into these four words, packaged and spoon-fed to the public. But this was merely a moment in time in an evolution of thought. It in no way embodies the complexities of the man or the movements he inspired. And we're doing a disservice to our children by striking a single note over and over again, expecting them to hear the entire symphony. If we want to truly honor the legacy and works of Dr. King, we must certainly acknowledge the March on Washington as a high point in the civil rights movement as it precipitated the passage of some important reforms in our nation. Increasingly, however, Dr. King became disillusioned with the political process and what he saw as an organized effort to marginalize people of color around the world and to pit the working class against itself by provoking racial discord. The former is illustrated by his vehement and unpopular opposition to the Vietnam War. The latter can be explained by what is known as the Southern Strategy. This was merely a moment in time in an evolution of thought. Essentially, by the end of his life, Dr. King was speaking more often about the tendencies of America to combat communism, but only aggressively so, against nations of brown people. The government responded in kind by branding him a communist, extensively surveilling him and attempting to blackmail him. He was also vocal about economic issues and what he believed to be an assault on the poor people instead of poverty itself and a subversive campaign to turn members of the white working class population against black workers, particularly in the South. In fact, the last movement he was to carry forth was called the Poor People's Campaign, this, he believed, would truly be his legacy. More than likely, it was this that got him killed. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to 
undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And this is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. True legacy. The movement, the memory, epitome of truth, the power, they couldn't let him be. Statues now, before it was the effigy, the end of Jim Crow, enter the SCLC. Nonviolent, but nothing close to timid. Master of the boycott, protest, and sit-ins. A noble man who even won the Peace Prize. Yet they threw him in a cell almost 30 times. Three letters and you know who it is. They try to boil him down in just four words. Too simplistic, they hunted him down, labeled him a communist. Now they applaud. After they whitewashed it, a champion, a man for all people. Uncle Sam ain't want him to branch out. He reached too far and he pushed too hard. A red alert, so they did what empires do and killed the messenger. Larry Ham, Chairman, People's Organization for Progress. You know, like the young people, they be like, uh, I don't like Dr. King. I like Malcolm X because they think. Malcolm X is more militant than Dr. King. But if you read what Dr. King was saying in 1967, 1968, it's almost indistinguishable from some of the things, many of the things that Malcolm X was saying when he was assassinated in 1965. He was assassinated in 65. Both of them, by the way, were 39 years old when they were assassinated. Dr. King and Malcolm X, they, neither of them lived to be 40 years old. But I would really urge people to familiarize themselves as we get close to the King holiday. Dr. King says in the fifth book he wrote, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? I think it's in the chapter called The World House. He says that he wanted to take a million people to Washington, D.C. That's what he said. He said a million. He said, I want to take the Negroes from the ghettos. The Indians from the reservation, the poor whites from Appalachia, the Latinos from the barrios, and they were going to go to D.C. and engage in massive civil disobedience until Congress passed an economic bill of rights for everybody. I have a dream. Ultimately, I think what scared the establishment was Dr. King connecting the dots that economic mobility equated to political power. After the March on Washington, he began to transcend issues of racism and social justice, which were boxes those in power allowed him to fill. Once he broke out of these boxes and began to attack the very underpinnings of the capitalist structure and the military-industrial complex, it was almost as though he broke the rules of engagement. We are coming coming to get our check. And so... Over time, there seems to have been a deliberate effort to stuff Dr. King back into these more comfortable boxes and whitewash history. One of the first things you do when rewriting history is to find a convenient foil or anti-hero. Malcolm X, 
for example, is largely portrayed as the militant black activist who didn't see eye to eye with Dr. King's nonviolent movement. And so, as a nation, we celebrate King and approach Malcolm X with extreme caution. While there is an element of truth to this characterization, at certain periods, it's reductive in nature. The fact of the matter is that both men began to recognize a coordinated effort on behalf of our government to oppress poor and working class Americans and create a culture of fear and distrust along racial lines. The second important step to rewriting history is to narrow things down to slogans and epitaphs. Something ephemeral that evokes emotion, yet can fit on a bumper sticker. I have a dream. A lifetime of agitation, heartbreak, and protest reduced to four simple words that neither inform or offend. The NEA, for example, offers national guidelines on how to teach children about the life and times of Dr. King. It's as though he finished that speech and simply disappeared from public life only to be shot and killed after five years of silence. The lesson plans show our teachers how to speak to children about nonviolence and passivity and the importance of the marches and boycotts in Selma and Montgomery. They listen to sections of I Have a Dream, and that's basically it. They even have a link to the rap video from Common called A Dream, which is supposed to connect young people today through hip-hop. But even this video is the perfect example of whitewashing history because it's the title song and music video to a movie called Freedom Writers where Hillary Swank, the white savior teacher, finds herself assigned to an inner city class full of troubled ethnic teens. It's a typical, well-meaning Hollywood liberal portrayal of the white man or woman in this case who saves the day by inspiring kids to reach beyond their circumstances and make something of themselves. They are the very people, very people telling the black man that he ought to lift, he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. I think that Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, I mean, when you listen to their speeches, it's like they're talking about today, you know? I mean, this is why you can listen. You hear Dr. King start to talk, and it's like, well, what is he talking about now, you know? We have a Dr. King holiday. We had to fight for that. We have in every town, in Martin Luther King Street, there's a school. King's writings, particularly the writings in the last two years of his life, are particularly relevant. Like, why do we have a Dr. King holiday and none of the six books that Martin Luther King wrote are required reading in any public school? What's the sense of closing the school if the children, the young people, the students are not going to know what he stood for, what his principles were, what he was fighting about? People really should go to the, the speeches that Dr. King gave like 1967 and 1968. If you want to know where Dr. King's head was, read those speeches. Read A Time to Break the Silence, which was, people call it why I opposed the war in Vietnam, but the actual title of the speech is A Time to Break the Silence. Perhaps a more tragic recognition of reality took place when it became clear to me that the war was doing far more than devastating the hopes of the poor at home. It was sending their sons and their brothers and their husbands to fight 
and to die in extraordinarily high proportions relative to the rest of the population. We were taking the black young men who had been crippled by our society and sending them 8,000 miles away to guarantee liberties in Southeast Asia, which they had not found in Southwest Georgia and East Holland. So we have been repeatedly faced with the cruel irony of watching Negro and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schools. And so we watch them in brutal solidarity, burning the huts of a poor village but we realized that they would hardly live on the same block in Chicago. I could not be silent in the face of such cruel manipulation of the poor. Like most important figures throughout history, there was so much more to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. than is portrayed in the media and in the classroom. He was a flawed man and a complicated figure who evolved over his lifetime made many sacrifices and compromises on the way to his many achievements. It's tempting, I suppose, to allow history to view him through a simplistic but noble lens and just leave it at that. After all, part of the prepackaged and sold legacy is that he was indeed a moral and transcendent figure who fought the good fight on the right side of history. But to truly honor him, I believe we need to be honest about his personal struggles and the times he chose to question the very movement he helped shape. Toward the very end of his life, in fact, just the night before he was killed, an increasingly paranoid and fragile king delivered one of the other most notable addresses in his life. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. to live a long life, longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now, I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land, I may not get there with you. I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. When he delivers that final line, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He turns abruptly and retreats from the stage. In retrospect, the moment is made even more powerful knowing these would be his final public words, as though he knew what was to come, maybe even when. He was assassinated the next day. In the end, 
Dr. King's legacy should be one that speaks to all people. The monolithic portrayal of him as a crusader for social and racial justice diminishes the more revolutionary aspect of his leadership. In many ways, we're only beginning to wrap our minds around the language he was using in the 60s. When he said, this country has socialism for the rich, rugged individualism for the poor, it may as well be Bernie Sanders out there campaigning. You see, the brilliance of Dr. King was his ability to see the entire picture, a spectrum of issues that were interwoven within a capitalist system designed to separate working people from economic power. That economic bill of rights Dr. King first talks about in the fourth book, Why We Can't Wait. In, in that book, he called it a bill of rights for the socially disadvantaged. But by 1968, he was just calling it the economic bill of rights. But you know, really, Dr. King was taking a leaf from the notebook of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Because many people don't know that Roosevelt was saying that the country needed an economic bill of rights before he died. I mean, there's a thread that just runs through our history that most of us are unaware of. I was unaware of it. As much as we would like to paint him as the patron saint of nonviolent action against institutional racism, Dr. King was, in reality, a radical and revolutionary voice cut down for challenging systemic oppression. Yeah, a true legacy. The movement, the memory, epitome of truth, the power, they couldn't let him be. Statues now, before it was an effigy, the end of Jim Crow, enter the SCLC. Now I'm violent, but nothing close to timid. Master of the boycott, protest, and sit-ins. A noble man who even won the Peace Prize. Hit the throw him in the cell almost 30 times. Three letters and you know who it is. They try to boil him down in just four words. Too simplistic, they hunted him down, labeled him a communist. Now they applaud after they whitewashed it, a champion, a man for all people, Uncle Sam ain't want him to branch out, he reached too far and he pushed too hard, a red alert, so they did what empires do, we killed the messenger. For full and bonus episode drops, extra content, and more information, subscribe for free to our Substack newsletter at newsbeat.substack.com. All right, well, there you have it, our baby, the episode that started it all. Since then, we've really expanded our operations. So if this is your first time hearing us, gotta take a listen to some of our other episodes. We've got luminaries like Dr. Cornell West, Chris Hedges, Rosa Clemente, and many more. Uh, we, we talk about issues of such vital importance, including the failed war on drugs, the movement to close youth prisons, Me Too behind bars, the youth-led revolution for climate justice, and our acclaimed episodes called Why We Riot. It won a bunch of really important awards, and it tells a really important story. There's so many gems, punctuated with so many incredible, compelling, lyrical exclamation points from brilliant poets and artists. We're a great binge podcast candidate. Now, once again, my name is Manny Faces, the producer and audio magician behind Newsbeat. But on behalf of our brilliant journalists and the rest of the Maury Creative Studios team, I want to thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on social media at US Newsbeat. Visit us at www.usnewsbeat.com. Rate and review us, please, wherever you get your podcasts. 
and share us with everybody you love and everybody you hate. (laughs) Now, we'll be back with new episodes very soon. We'll leave you with some more of our discussion with educator Amanda McAvoy, who you can learn more about at Linktree slash English Elixir. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash English Elixir. Thank you, Amanda. And thank you for listening to Newsbeat. So we did something called a collaborative poster, um, which is the thing I posted. And so they didn't really know what part of MLK they were coloring. And they just listened to the podcast and had to write down two things that really struck them from the podcast. Um, I really like to infuse that creativity because, you know, they're 13. Their attention span is not very long. Um, So to keep them sort of their brain moving, um, coloring was a good way to keep them actively listening. And then when we when we were finished, we put the poster all together and then it made his face. That's great. And um, so what did you do you do after that? What, What was the reaction from your students? And is there a discussion afterwards or anything like that? Yeah, so they um, instantly, you know, they were like, okay, this is interesting, like things that they hadn't heard about. But when the music kicks in, they all like kind of went crazy and they're like, wait, this is really cool. And, um, you know, I teach a a very um, white school, okay, so they don't have any sort of, um, I mean, very limited knowledge of, you know, black culture or anything like that. So um, they you know, they know little things about Martin Luther King, but then, and then they didn't, they just learned so much more about his life. Um, things that they don't learn in school as the podcast suggests. That's awesome. And so what advice do you have for, um, other educators who may want to explore using podcasts and other innovative, uh, maybe forms of media to, um, incorporate into their lessons? Yeah, I think that podcasts should be viewed just like we view um, videos that we watch online or articles that we read or books. Um, It's just another form of media that students should be studying the same way. Um, There are podcasts for everyone. So there's just like books, you know, there's there's fiction podcasts, there's nonfiction podcasts, there's all sorts of different topics. There's one for everyone out there. Um, So that's sort of the best way to use it. And I think um, you can always link at least one episode or a half of an episode into a unit. Um, and, you know, some people do study the fictional ones or the long story ones over time. And I think I saw on your Instagram that you also did um, a lesson on the climate episode. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So um, it was still in the activism unit. And I love that one because there were all those interviews with the young teenagers. Um, so like 14, 15, 13, you know, my kids were like, wait, this is cool. Like they're young. And so that was a really cool perspective for them to see. Um, we did a similar sort of thing. We, I called them sketch notes so they can draw pictures of what they're hearing. Um, and then there were little like mandalas that they could color again to keep them actively listening. Okay, awesome. And uh, Chris, uh, I think, has a question. Okay. First of all, we're, we're just absolutely thrilled. Uh, we were so excited when we saw your post, and it's just incredible, you know, how you're, you're educating the students, but at the same time, you're almost, like, translating the music into, uh, you know, an artistic social justice project. So yeah. Kudos to you. Um, Thank you so much. And what I wanted to ask was, would you recommend uh, Newsbeat to other teachers and if so why like what is it about Mm -hmm. newsbeat um that you feel uh could benefit 
uh, students and, and potentially serve as like a study aid or, or however you might think it, it's best used in a classroom. Yeah, I would definitely recommend Newsbeat to teachers. I think just the wide range of topics that it provides, you know, you could use the climate change episode in a science class to talk to like sort of introduce it. I used it in language arts. It could be used in a social studies class as sort of like a sociology study. Um, but the and just there's just so many topics to choose from. So it, and I really, of course, love the music because I think that's what really told the kids in their head that it was cool. And that's important because teenagers are hard to convince. And I just had one more question for you. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's sort of what you had said attracted you to the MLK episode. Um, so much of this, of the things we cover and so much really important issues obviously are left out of uh, school textbooks. Mm -hmm. um, so what's the importance to you of of addressing, you know, and introducing your students to those topics, the things that that are so historically uh, important on so many levels that that you you as a teacher can attest just aren't even in the textbooks. Yeah, and that's, I mean, even, even myself, you know, I I also like them um, went to a high school that didn't have a lot of diversity. My knowledge of MLK, I think, only sort of evolved after studying him myself. So, because like I said, in school, we just listen to the speech and we're like, okay, we get it. Like, this is about equality, but I don't really know anything about his life um, past that. So, and I think that goes along with a lot of different topics in history. You hear one snippet of it, but you don't really understand what's going on. And then like the um, podcast talk talks about Malcolm X too. Like we did not learn about Malcolm X. It was maybe like one sentence in a textbook, like he's the other side, but, and that's just not even accurate. And right now our kids are like, you know, they hear like fake news and like all this stuff and they just don't really know how to go out and find their own sources sometimes or what to believe. So that's why I really think that the podcast is cool because it's historically based or it's what's happening right now. And our kids really, I think this is a time that people are very much like more politically aware. Um, so I, I'd like my students to do the same, even though they're only 13. That's great. Uh, I sort of wish I was in school now because I remember current events, we would just cut up articles from the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is much cooler. Yeah.